We have been talking about self-governed people. This is the last night that I'm going to talk on that. Um, a self-governed person. How many have been for all, this will be the fourth night. How many have been here through all three? That's good. Um, a self-governed person. And of course, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, that he who has no rule over his spirit or doesn't govern his spirit is like a city with broken down walls. So they're not protected. They, they, it's easy for the enemy to get in, and they also have no boundaries on where they, they lay the line. And so they, they kind of wander around, and things are easy to come in, easy to go out, easy to cross over uh, into other areas that they shouldn't. So we've been talking about a self-governed person and how important that is. So tonight is going to be the last night of that, and we're going to read out of the, the word in Genesis. So if you'll turn to the book of Genesis in chapter 39, I am going to get all of my reference points tonight out of Joseph's life. Because if you read about Joseph, he was an amazing leader. He really was. Uh, his life demonstrated uh, character traits that brought him to the top, and not just once. He went to the top uh, in Potiphar's house, he went to the top in the jail, and he went in, in the top of the whole nation. So it wasn't, and he was starting over each time. You know, it was like you throw somebody on the bottom, but they keep rising up. And that's what happened to Joseph every single time. So obviously he figured some things out with leadership and knowing how to self-govern. So we're going to look at Joseph's life tonight. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Father, that you give us your word as a guidance, as a, as a way of, of understanding, insight, revelation. So we pray tonight for that spirit of revelation to unlock things in our own understanding, that we will not just know it, but we will understand it, and, Lord, that it will be revealed to our spirit on how to apply it in life. So we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight I'm going to go through five things. These are characteristics or signs. If you're taking notes, characteristics or signs of a self-governed person. Now, I had already went through uh, uh, various things about what a self-governed person does, but these are characteristics or signs. So you, when you look at yourself, do I do these things? Are these things that show in my life? Um, characteristics or signs of a self-governed person. So let's look at Genesis 39. And I want to read verses 1 through 4 and also 23. So I'm going to 1 through 4 and then I'm going to skip to 23. But we'll make it to the end of that again. But it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now remember, does, you know Joseph's story. He was sold into slavery because of his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him. He had had a dream that he was going to be at the top and everybody was going to bow down to him. And Joseph's brothers were absolutely jealous about this, called him a dreamer, called him a uh, name, said, oh, let's get rid of him. Uh, they faked his death, took his coat back home to his father after they had dipped it in, in the blood of an animal. Look, father, your, your favorite son has died. And they had sold Joseph into slavery. So off he goes to Egypt at, with a, a band of uh, um, people from another nation, and they sold him. So that's what's going on at, at this point. 
Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought, sorry, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything he owned. Let me read just... Let me go ahead and read them through six. Everything he owned, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph's care in Joseph's care, everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, I'm going to point to verse 23 as well. This is after he was put in prison. Same thing happened, and it says the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So my first point tonight, a leader shows signs by making their own decisions, making their own decisions. And I know that sounds like pretty basic, but you'd probably be surprised at how many people can't make their own decisions. You know, they, they can't even go to the bathroom by themselves. Some ladies, you can go to the, go to the bathroom. You want to come with me to the bathroom? You know, it's like you going, you know, to go get something, somebody's got to be with you. Or you have to ask everybody's opinion about what you should do in something. So making your own decisions, being able to make your own decisions, to be able to process things, to think about what it is that I want, what it is that I desire, what it is that, that I can uh, uh, be able to handle in life, thinking through, processing. How many people saw The Runaway Bride? The movie The Runaway Bride, Julia, Jul Julia Roberts? Yeah. And, and remember, she couldn't ever commit to somebody because she didn't know who she was. It was like, I don't know what I like. And she, couldn't, she didn't even know what kind of eggs she liked because it was always based upon what her boyfriend liked. It was like, well, oh, you like hard-boiled eggs? I like hard-boiled eggs. Oh, you like the bubble eggs? I like the bubble eggs. You know, whatever the, the guy liked, that's what she liked. And finally, at the end of the movie, she had to figure out what? do I like? What is it? Instead of making everyone else happy all the time, what do I like? And so finally, she was able to decide and figure out what it was that she wanted in a person, a spouse, because she had figured out who she was and what she liked. Now, I know that's a movie, but there's a lot of people that don't know what they like. They, they're too busy trying to uh, please man. Figure out everybody else's opinion. Figure out what it is that everybody else wants them to do. They ask everybody's uh, thoughts or opinions on everything. And the thing is, and I'm not saying it's, it's bad to ask opinion. That's not what I'm saying. But are you asking everybody's opinion or are you asking a wise person's advice? There's a difference. Are you asking your friends who don't show any signs of success at all in that area or are you asking someone that understands that area and can give you advice in that area? There's a difference. So, you know, there, you could ask someone who is wise about something and say, well, you know, what do you think about this, this decision I have to make? You know, what would you do if you were me? But still, that person has to have the discernment 
to know what is right for them. They could, they could listen to someone else's thoughts, but it still doesn't always mean that it's the right thing for them. So they have to have discernment by the Holy Spirit to know if their situation is the same, what's the Holy Spirit telling me to do? Uh, sometimes you can gain wisdom and be like, okay, I, you know, I obviously didn't understand that completely, and I'm glad I listened because now I'm able to make a better judgment on what I need to do. So it's okay to ask for advice, but don't ask the person that's been married 25 times what you should do in your marriage. You get me? Like, know, like, who you should ask. Find somebody that's successful in the area and ask them. So it comes from selective, experienced people. Don't just follow the crowd. This is what put Joseph in charge three times, or at least one of the things. He was able to make decisions. If you look at this, this here, he, was, he would not have risen to the top if he could not make decisions. Everything that Potiphar had, everything that the warden of the prison had was given over to Joseph because he could decide things. He could figure things out. He could think and process and say, I think this is the best thing to do. So he could make decisions. People that were on the top were okay with handing him something and say, take care of this, and I don't want to have to worry about it. And when I come back to you, like it's going to be done. Like, I'm not going to have to worry that, it, that you know, you didn't do anything with it or that you still are undecided three weeks later on it. So make decisions. When we went into the mission field, uh, there weren't too many people that actually were in favor and going, yeah, go. It's a great idea. God bless you. You know, there were uh, a few you know, fortunately, our family, uh, they, they were okay with it. They were sad, but they were okay with it. But there were some that were Christian friends of ours. They did not accept it at all. Tried to tell us it was the worst thing ever. And that, that well, you know, I don't feel like it's the right decision for you guys. Why can't you, why can't you just stay here and do missions work? Why, you know, there's people here that need saved. Well, that's great, but that's not where God called us. God called us somewhere else. We had to have discernment around that and not be swayed by someone else that wasn't called to do what we were called to do. So uh, be able to make your own decisions because if you cannot, how are others going to follow you if you cannot make decisions? You'll, you'll be wandering around and they'll finally be like, I'm, I'm done. I can't figure out where this person's going. They're all over the place. They can't make a decision, or they do this, and then they stop, and then go back the other way. People won't follow someone that cannot make a decision and move forward. So that's number one. Make decisions. Make your decisions. Number two, adopt beliefs and principles to guide you in life. So a leader will adopt, or they will have uh, beliefs in their life or principles in their life to guide them. And then we're going to go ahead and read uh, verse 7. Till I stop. 7 till I stop, okay? <laughs> All right, so we get to the point. We left off it. They left everything in Joseph's care. Verse 6, it says, Joseph was a well-built and handsome man and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said come to bed with me but he refused 
He said, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He wasn't even saying, how could I do this and sin against Potiphar? How could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? So who who set his standards? God. His standards were set by God. He, he looked at his life and he had guidelines. He had principles that he followed. And, you know, the Bible even says that he went into the house that day. See, Potiphar's wife kept after him and after him and after him. And the thing is, you got to understand, sometimes we think, well, Potiphar's wife was probably an old hag and she was ugly. No, you know, uh, Potiphar, he was like in charge of the whole prison. He was a wealthy man. He, most wealthy men get a pretty wife, and they're usually younger. So this wife is probably younger, and she's probably very beautiful. And the thing is, she keeps coming on to Joseph. Joseph's a young man. His hormones, I'm sure, are raging. But the thing is, that didn't matter. How can I do this against my God? He had principles that he would not cross. He had lines that he would not cross in his life. These things, these are the areas. This is where I stay. I don't cross these lines. So there were principles. There were things in life that guided him, that kept him along the way. These are why he did not uh, uh, fall off the path and fall off of a, a trail. And then God said, well, I can't, I can't do anything with you because I can't trust you. You know, or you just went to veer left and now now you just kind of blew your chances of this position I wanted you to grow into because you decided to go for something else that was not in that plan so he had principles in his life you know think about it at the very beginning of our country what did the founding fathers frame the Constitution what was that for to guide our country right think about it if we had a Constitution our country would be just a free-for-all. People could do whatever they wanted. There has to be, even if you go into into a, a hospital, there are certain things that are guidelines for that hospital. You can't just go in and do whatever you want. Well, you know, I think uh, the lady in room uh, 16 needs these pills. I'm going to go give them to her. You know, you can't do whatever you want. There has to be guidelines that, that function everything, that put into to, uh, uh, alignment or into place a, an order. There has to be an order. For our lives to be successful, there has to be something that's guiding them. So know why you believe what you believe. Because if you're just believing it because someone else said, well, it's a good idea, you're probably not going to stand real strong in that moment of temptation. He said, I can't do this against my God. He didn't say, I can't do this against uh, the God that I heard my dad talk about. I can't do this against my God. So know why you believe what you believe. Know why you stand for what you stand for. There are things that are in a person's just like their very core. Sometimes, you know, some people are, are benefited with, with that being instilled in them at a young age. 
And so they grow up with that. As a result, they're, they're on a, a path that makes them stronger to be able to hold these things. But sometimes people don't learn them till later, so they have to like catch up, but then it's like, now I've got to take responsibility for it. But either way, know what you stand for. Know the word of God. What does the word of God say? So that you can live in favor. Don't favor the world's opinion. Favor what God says. Always do what God says, and there will be a, a blessing on that. Verse 9. So how can I do this thing against God? Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew ha has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home, until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. The, then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison ward so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all the things held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and, and gave him success in whatever he did. So number three, don't play the victim. Don't play the victim. Joseph was in a position. This was not the first time this had happened to him. His, his, he could have, even if we use the first part of the story where his, his brothers threw him in a pit. I mean, his very relatives hated him, threw him in a pit, went back home, told dad he was dead, and sold him for pretty much pennies it, it wasn't like they it was if you figure it up it was like fifty dollars in your in your pocket for each one of them it wasn't much sold him hated him and the thing is he could have been like man i'm just gonna be a slave all my life this is this is so junk you know what a bad rap i got what a bad deal my brothers they hate i just i don't i don't even see how i'm gonna make it out of this and then guess what it happens again. It happens again, and he gets thrown in prison. Now, if he decided to play the victim in all of this, he, he could have just sat there and just self-pity, and you know what, I just, I'm, that, this is, I'm done now. I'm in the prison. Who's going to get me out of this? I'm in a foreign land. I don't even belong to this country. How am I going to make it out of this hole? But Joseph didn't play a victim. You know what he did? He began to think, What's right in front of me right now? How can I make my position better? And he began to do things that caught the eye of the warden. And the warden noticed and put him over charge of the prison. He didn't blame his brothers. 
He didn't blame Potiphar's wife. He didn't blame Potiphar. And he didn't, you know, he actually sat there and tried to solve Potiphar's problems. He, he sat there and tried to figure out, how can I make this guy's house a great place for him? How can I make his job easy? You know, it was to the point that Potiphar was like handing over everything and saying, you know what, you take care of it. I'm not going to care about anything but my dinner menu tonight. That's how faithful Joseph was. That's how trustworthy he was. And that is how hard he worked for his master. And then he gets thrown in prison and he does it all over again. How can I, how can I help this warden? How can I make his life easier? And the warden starts giving him responsibilities in prison. He d- you know, there, I understand that there are situations in our life sometimes that can be crummy. I get that, and I know that, but there's also a point where we can't blame any longer, and we realize, like, the responsibility has to fall back with us, and we, yeah, my dad did this, yeah, my mom did this, yeah, I was handed this in life, but where am I at now, and what do I have to do now in order to get out of this? Joseph could have sat until he was 80, 90 years old and then died in the same junk hole, that he was in. But instead, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do my best to get out of this. I'm going to do what I can do. And then he's what? The second in command of the whole nation. Now, he probably didn't realize that even though God had put a dream on the inside of him. But I'm sure he didn't know how all that was going to play out. And he could have very easily said, oh, I must have missed it. That dream, it must have just been a dream. That dream, it must have just been some, some uh, crazy hot dog that I had the night before, and I just had this bad dream. <laughs> it could have just been me being restless. You know, I've been under some stress lately, and I just, I had a crazy dream about that. Make up excuses, whatever. But he said, I am going to make the best out of my situation. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to look at who I can blame. I'm not going to play a victim. I'm not going to sit here and try to get everybody's sympathy and sit here in the prison and go, yeah, what's your story? Yeah, you want to hear mine? Mine's pretty bad. Mine actually tops yours. You know, at least you're actually Egyptian. I'm Hebrew. People here don't even like me. At least they kind of like you. You know, I mean, he, there's always something, always something that people could say. You know, my situation's always the worst. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He said, he, what can I do? Our situations, our traditions, uh, even our family, but we cannot look at that and say, there's no way out because of this. We ha- instead have to say, you know what? That, that's sad that that happened. It's, it's crummy that that happened. Um, you know, it's frustrating that maybe I didn't start here like some people did, but I'm going to do the best that I can do with my life, and I am going to come out of the position, and my children are not going to start where I started. I'm going to set myself up to be the best that I can be, to get out of every situation that I can get out of, to rise to every level that I can rise to. So don't play the victim. Just because someone did something in the past, just because your parents may have done something, just because family members, just because a situation, just because tradition, just because culture, just because, you know, every excuse you can use, just because that's the way it was doesn't mean that that's what you're bound to now. It's all a decision. So make the decision, I'm coming out. I'm not playing the victim. You're not a victim. You're a child of God. Amen. Okay, so let's skip down to uh, chapter 40, verse 5. 
So we've got these other two guys that are throwing in prison. It's the cupbearer and the baker of, of, uh, of Pharaoh, and they're throwing into prison. And then in verse 6, no, verse 5, sorry, it says, uh, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When, Jace, when Jason, <laughs> that's not even a Hebrew name. <laughs> when Joseph came to them the next morning, that's in the, that's in the message Bible, Jason. I'm joking. When Joseph came to them the next morning and saw that they were dejected, I can't read tonight. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. So number, number four, we're on number four, right? Number four, leaders show initiative. Leaders show initiative. Just because you, you don't play the victim doesn't automatically mean that you show initiative, okay? Initiative is different. Initiative is, is seeing something that needs done and doing it without somebody having to tell you to do it. Initiative is finding that, that piece that's lacking and solving that problem. Initiative. Joseph solved problems. When he, when he sees this situation, you know what's interesting? He doesn't go, oh, yeah, sorry, guys, you know, unhappy today? Yeah, well, here's your food. Sorry, see you later. He's like, oh, you had a dream? Well, tell me about your dream. But you know what's interesting? Joseph didn't walk around solving everybody's dream. You know what he did? He solved the problems of people that could change his life. Isn't that interesting? He solved the problems of Potiphar. He solved the problems of a baker and a, and a, a butler in the house of the pharaoh. And he's, I'm sure, setting there thinking, because even as he gets to the end, he says, now remember me. When you get out, remember me. Remember me. You are not there. This is key. Understand this. You're not here to solve everybody's problem. You are here to solve some people's problems, and you are here to solve certain problems in life, but not everybody's, because some people's problems they want to constantly throw on you so they don't have to solve it. And it can tie you up constantly, and you'll never pursue your destiny because you'll be so busy fixing their life. Joseph discerned whose problems to solve, and he showed initiative. He didn't just sit back and go, yeah, you guys had some dreams. Well, that's awesome. I had a dream once, too. You know, I'll tell you my dream. Yeah, and I'm still sitting here in prison. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, he could have he could have related to him like that, but he didn't. He he said, "I tell me your dream. I'll, I'll tell you what it means." So he solved their problem. Joseph could not have been promoted without solving that problem, because two years later, when they finally remembered it, when the guy when the one guy finally remembered it, oh yeah, there is this guy in prison that he, he solves dreams because Pharaoh had a dream and now Pharaoh needed him two years later. But the thing is, 
He could not have been promoted without doing that, without solving that problem. So you have really four options. Listen to this. You have four options. When, you're, when you are uh, in a workplace, when you're in, even in church, if you're in your family, you have four options when, when you have a problem in front of you, when you feel like, you know, I just feel like I'm in a rut, or I just feel like I can't do anything about this. You have four decisions or four options to make. One is complain about it. You can complain. You can say, you know, I hate this this place. I hate this job. I hate this uh, blah blah blah. Whatever it is, I, I just I don't like this. I I'm, I'm so tired of being here. Da, da 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 da. You can complain, or you can ignore it. Some people, well, I don't want to complain about anything. I'll just ignore it. But it doesn't solve anything. Ignoring doesn't take the problem away. So as a leader, we can't just shy away from things and pretend they don't exist. Well, yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to look at that. Nobody look at the big elephant in the room. Nobody, nobody pay attention to it, you know, because th- it doesn't go away. It stays there, and everybody knows that it's there. And then the people are like, why isn't, why isn't this being paid attention to? Why isn't it being solved? Why isn't this being taken care of? So a leader doesn't complain. They don't ignore. Now, here's another option. You could ask about it, you could go to somebody else and say, hey, what about the, you know, the big problem here? What do, what's what's going to happen with this? What do we need to do about it? Which is, is more productive. It is more productive, but it's not the best thing. You could solve it. You could solve the problem. How can I solve this problem? And sometimes that takes prayer first. Because sometimes you aren't sure how to solve that issue, how to solve that problem, and you need God's wisdom on it, or you need God to move and open a door for you. But figure out, how do I solve this problem? You know, if, if you're working for someone, it's like Joseph showed initiative. He looked at Potiphar. He looked at the warden. He even looked at Pharaoh and said, what can I do to make their job easy? Do you think that he would do that day after day after day and not catch their eye? That he, they had to turn and look. Who is this guy that keeps bringing me a plate lunch every day? Who's this guy that keeps making sure that I'm saving money when my last servant kept stealing or my last servant kept blowing everything? Who's this guy? that keeps making sure that, that all the servants are showing up on time. Like, they were always late, but now he's making sure they're getting there on time. Like, everything's changing. This guy's here, and it's just like, man, things have shifted. Everything's starting to flow. It's like, this is great. I'm going to promote this guy. You can't help but promote someone that's showing that kind of initiative. So solve the problem, but I will say this, make sure that you follow through. Because just solving the problem without following through, if you go and, and you tell your leader, your boss, whomever it is, ev- this, this is even in, in a, a relationship, in a marriage, or you know, your workplace, if you go and say, okay, honey, I got a great idea. We need to, we need to gather the kids, and we need to uh, pray together, and, and we need to uh, have devotions every night, but then there's no follow-through. Then you didn't actually solve the problem. You came up with a grand idea, but you didn't solve the problem. So 
just because you came up with the idea doesn't mean that it's, it's final. It doesn't mean that it's done. Boss, I think that a great idea would be to do this on the schedule. That way, everybody's got a, a every other weekend off, or, you know, everybody's got time, da 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 da, whatever it is. But then nothing's ever done about it. And and he's like, great, do it, get it, get it done, make sure that happens, okay. And then it doesn't happen. Can you take care of this? Yes, I will do this for you. And then it doesn't happen. No follow through. Then it's pretty much the same as you not solving it. So. Solving the problem, follow through, show initiative. What needs to happen? I'll get it done. I'll get it done. I'm going to be sure that I'm going to see that thing all the way through. A leader shows initiative and they follow through with it. They, they are problem solvers. They don't complain about the problem. They don't sit there and, and look at it and talk about the problem. They solve the problem. Joseph was a problem solver. And the very last one, Let's go over to chapter 42. It says, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. This is when a famine had hit the land and his brothers who were in Canaan had to come into the land of Egypt to get food because Joseph had solved the Pharaoh's problem. And now there was food to sell. I mean, this whole story, you could really like dive deep into it and see this time and time happen again, but we don't have time to do it tonight. But He's got his brothers coming for food now. Remember, he hasn't seen his brothers for years, years. So he looks different because he has spent his latter years in Egypt. He's been, uh, you know, he spent two years in prison. I'm not sure how long he was in Potiphar's house. And then he, he spent at least uh, seven years through the good times and, and a few more in the land while the famine's going on. So his brothers have not seen him. He probably looks like an Egyptian. His head's probably shaved. So he looks different. Brothers don't recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You're spies. You have come to see our land and how it's unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come by food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Talking about Joseph. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And then he put them all into custody for three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, then let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. So here, now this one, 
is I'm switching this a little bit. We've been focused on what Joseph has been doing, but now Joseph is trying to pull something out of his brothers. He hasn't seen them. He's testing them. What is he looking for? He's looking for honesty and that repentance, that humbleness. So he's looking, have they changed their heart? So that number five is re accepting responsibility for your own actions. He wants to see if they're going to accept responsibility for what they've done. Because he knows they're the ones that threw him in. He knows what they did. And so he's waiting. Are they going to own up to what they did? Are they going to be honest? Are they going to actually say what they did and that they, they repent for what they did? And of course, it ends up, yes, they did, and they cried, and they were upset. This is, this is surely happening because of what we did to Joseph so many years ago. And they, they even told him, you know, what happened and everything. So accepting responsibility for your own actions. Leaders accept responsibility. Hiding, whenever, whenever we do something and it was wrong or we messed up, even if it was not on purpose, you know, but we messed up and then we try to hide it, that shows dishonesty. When we try to hide something and keep it hidden, it shows dishonesty. And when the leader or the person that's with you or the person that's around you, when they find out, it, to them, it's hurtful or it's they can't trust you in that position. It's a dishonesty that they're like, how can I trust you? I can't, I can't bump you up higher. I can't promote you if you're not going to be honest and transparent. If you cast the blame, which is what, you know, happens a lot of times when somebody's found out. Well, it was, you know, what did, what did Eve do? What did Adam do? It was his fault. It was her fault. It was the snake's fault. It was somebody else's fault. It was my boss's fault. It was my coworker's fault. It was somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. When we always are casting the blame, it shows immaturity. So dishonesty or trying to hide it, trying to hide something shows dishonesty. But if we are, are trying to blame someone, it shows immaturity because we're not willing to accept what we did. Now, what if we actually, ex you know, said, yeah, I did this. What if you actually come, come clean before someone even asks you about it? That shows trustworthiness, which is the hardest thing to do, I know. But it's actually, I used to have a worker when we owned the daycare center. She was so transparent because she would, she would be so, um, she would feel bad. And she was just one of those girls that, that she would, you know, give her about a day. Man, I just feel bad. I got to come and tell you. <laughs> you know, she was so transparent. She, she couldn't hold anything in because she would just feel bad about it. But she was so honest. And I knew I could trust her. Because she would always be honest about things. She would always just be very clear, very transparent. There, she didn't try to hide things. And she would just come out and, and let me know, even if it was hard for her. But I knew I could trust her. And she was the one that I bumped into the director's position when I went home to uh, begin homeschooling my kids. When I began to, to you know, because I, I worked it for so long, but then when it was time for them to be schooled, I went home, she became the director. 
because I could trust her, and she had learned the ropes. She had been right there from day one and been learning every step, everything that we had done. She showed leadership characteristics. So I poured into her. When that time came, it was easy for me to make that transition. But she showed those things. Titles, positions carry more responsibility. So the thing is, how are you handling the responsibility you have now? Because if you're wanting a title, if you're wanting promotion, if you're wanting more responsibility, but you're not being faithful in the thing that you have now, then you're not going to be able to carry the weight of something higher. Because believe me, position and title carries more responsibility. I mean, there are decisions we have to make almost every day concerning the church, even at this smallness. There are people that call us all the time. They, they want us to solve their problems, but they don't want to step foot in here. You know? They don't want to commit to the house of God, but they want us to take care of all of their issues. And the thing is, we have to discern things sometimes. And there's times, just like what I said, you're not there to solve every person's problem. Sometimes people just want you to solve all their problems, but they don't want to do anything themselves. So you have to discern, and of course people say all the time, well, you're the church, you should be paying for this for me, you, you should be doing this for me, you should be, that, no, that's not how this works. There are times that we will do things ourselves out of our own pocket, but if we discern that this person's just trying to get a buck, we don't, because they're out there just taking people. So it's really having discernment and having an understanding and the thing is, taking, like being, being uh, taking responsibility for the things that you have right now, making the right decisions when you're faced with things, being honest, being truthful, being upfront, being uh, courageous enough to, to step out and say, hey, I got to tell you something that, that you know, I've, I've, I've had trouble with. You know, sometimes people... They're, they're so afraid of coming clean on something. But the thing is, I would rather someone come clean and be able to make progress than I would for them to stay in the position they're in and never grow. Because that thing will keep them in bondage forever if they never come out of that. And that's not, that's not what God wants us to do. When I was, when I was young, my dad made me... Um, we were, I don't know, probably... 12, 11. We had walked down to a, a little uh, store, and there was one of those um, pop machines outside, and so we had put money in, and, and there was some extra pop that came out, so we got two pops for the price of one. And so, you know, like, yeah, and we went home, and, you know, we each had a pop. We only had to pay for, for one, but we both had one, and, and so anyway, somehow my, I, yeah, I was probably silly enough to tell my dad not realizing what he would do and <laughs> and so we get in the car he drives me back down to the store takes me inside to the manager and says you're going to pay for the extra soda but it taught me a lesson about honesty and when those things are instilled at a young age those things don't leave you because man that that humiliation and that shame that sticks with you and you remember those moments even today if if i feel that in my spirit around something you know there was one time we were having a um a women's thing up at the uh, up at Olinda, up at Dr. Morocco's, and uh, it was for the women. And Pastor Colleen, um, she was running one of the the women's encounters, and 
each one of the ministers was, was doing part of the lesson. So I had one of the lessons. And anyways, at the end, she had called anyone that, that had um, issues with forgiveness, with forgiving people to come up. And so she was praying for people and everything and was having us pray for people. Well, at one point, I, I sensed and I felt in my spirit that there were people in there that hadn't forgiven themselves and that they had been um, holding themselves in bondage, but which that's not a problem, but the thing is, what I did is I went up to her and I said, I really feel that da 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 and put her in a position that I shouldn't have done because it wasn't my meeting. It was her meeting. It wasn't my meeting to run. And that convicted me afterwards. And I went up to her afterwards and I said, I'm sorry, I was out of order. I, w I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that, and I apologized. But, you know, I had a decision to make. Yeah, I could have just walked out that day and, and been like, well, you know, yeah, I might have been wrong, but I'm not going to own up to that. I'm not going to be honest about that. I'm not going to come clean, you know. I'll just pretend like it didn't happen. I'll just ignore it. But, you know, when you do that, you gain the trust of someone because they realize, like, they'll come clean. If they do something, they'll come clean. They'll be honest with you. They'll, they'll be transparent with you. So it was like that thing of the Holy Spirit checking me that that wasn't your place, you know. And, and sometimes people think, well, you know, if the Holy Spirit was telling you. No, we, we have to, we, just because someone senses something all the time doesn't mean that we're supposed to take over. Understand that. Like we are in control of what the Spirit shows us. Not everything is supposed to just be done. So things have to be done in the right order. And I wasn't running that meeting, and I was out of order. So I took responsibility for that. Same thing with our kids. We have to make sure that they take responsibility for their actions. Teach them when they're young. As parents, teach them. Because if not, then they won't take responsibility when they're older. You know, even when we had the daycare, I would, if someone threw a block and hit somebody in the head, okay, we're going to go take responsibility. We're going to, you got to go say you're sorry. You threw the block. You know, and some people in this, in this generation, well, yeah, but if they don't really mean it, they shouldn't have to say that. No, they need to say it because that's the whole reason you're a parent or a teacher. You're teaching them what's right and what's wrong. If they never have to take responsibility for anything, then they'll wonder why they're 20 and, you know, they do something and now the cops have taken them in because they've never had to take responsibility for their actions. So those five things are good characteristics. These are signs of self-governed people. People that will, number one, they can make their own choices. Number two, they have principles that guide their life. Number three, they don't play a victim. They don't accept victimhood. Four, they show initiative. And five, they accept responsibility for their own actions in life. And they're honest. That's what Joseph was looking for out of his brothers. Are you going to come clean? Are you going to be honest? You know? And Joseph rose to the top with all of those characteristics. So those are things that we can look at in our own life. Where do I need to improve? What do I need to do in life? How can I uh, grow in these areas? 